Well, hey, Hub City, it's great to be with you today, and we are kicking off a brand new series called You Mad Bro, and in this series, we're going to be looking at the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus and what made Jesus mad, various different moments throughout his life uh, where he got a little frustrated, a little angry, and as we look at that, we're going to see uh, at its core the big thing that made Jesus mad is when relationship between man and God was obstructed. You see, God wanted relationship with humanity, and we as humans, we mess that up. We, we get in the way of that. We create structures and, and, and systems that become barriers to us having an open, accessible relationship with God. And that's what Jesus came to bring, right? By, uh, by, by coming to earth and dying on the cross and rising from the dead, man, he brought an all-access pass for us to connect with our Heavenly Father, for the Creator to connect with the created. But man gets in the way. We create holy hoops, we create rules, social structures, cultural structures, conflict, emotions, all of that gets in the way and obstructs our ability to connect with God and to connect with other people. And that, at its core, bothered Jesus. And we're going to see that each week in this series. And the whole goal of this series is not to get you mad about things and make angry Christians, but the goal of this series is to understand our emotions. What's going on in our hearts and in our minds that, that's stirring us? And, and what's going on below the surface, more on the inside? That's why we're doing those mad moments every week. Get a greater glimpse and awareness of what's going on on the inside. All the while, our aim is to align our heart with the heart of Christ. That what he loves, I love. What brings joy to him, brings joy to me. And what angers him, would anger me. And that I would learn to channel my energy towards the things that matter to Jesus the most, which is restoring relationship between God and people. Creating that clear pathway for God to be in relationship with us and with other people. That's what this is all about. And I think this is a very timely message for us. We're living in a very angry time. Uh, I was reminded of a, of a famous scene, a famous quote, quote from an old movie called Network back from the 70s and, in which this newscaster, he just has this moment where he snaps and he begins this long rant about the culture and the news and everything is just like spiraling down the toilet and he doesn't know how to fix it. But what he does say is, I want you to get mad. Everything's really bad, but I want you to get really mad. And, and, and he has this famous line and I'll, I'll uh, I'll, I'll give you the revised version based on copyright and also our context. Uh, I'll edit it for you. But he says, I'm as, I'm as mad as Hades, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Right? You can fill in the blanks on instead of Hades. He was really mad. And, and in this movie, it cuts to him broadcasting this to multiple cities at this time. And, and what happens is they cut to the neighborhoods, and people begin, and he encourages them, open your window and scream it out the window. I'm as mad as Hades, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And people begin to do this from their balconies and their windows and all of this. And, and here this moment is from 1976, 45 years ago. And I believe it echoes the heart of our culture right now in 2021. We live in an angry world. We, we scroll through our social media. We look at the news. Uh, we just take a glimpse at our culture right now, and we are angry. There's a hostility and a vitriol, and I don't know what to do to fix it, but let's get mad is kind of the idea. I didn't even pause and think for a moment. And if you're watching live with us at 9.30 or 11, throw, throw your answers in the chat or on our YouTube page. Put it in the comments. What are people angry about right now? What are they mad at? 
I mean, really, it's everything and anything. But, but think about it. There's a whole litany of things that you could list out that people get upset about right now. Masks, lockdowns, elections, politics, traffic, weather, prices for milk, things like that. I mean, it's just anything. People are getting mad about everything. I saw two guys almost go to blows in a Costco parking lot over parking space. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. Ah! Right? And there was lots of language and cursing and yelling and all of this. There was anger. There's a tension in our air hostility. Our boiling point is just simmering right below the surface, and at any moment, we're ready to burst. And that's in our culture right now, and it's not just outward and around us. I think we feel that anger within us. That's why I think this is so timely. We are angry people, too. I mean, think about what makes you mad right now. It's not about guilt or or condemnation. I'm not here to point a finger at you for getting mad. I get mad about a lot of different things. Some very superficial and some very deep uh, and tied to some wounds and, and some fears and insecurities, different things. But, but my, my asking that question is to help us see that we live in a culture that has driven us to be angry as well, to shout it from the rooftops. And, and however you would answer that question, answer it in the chat if you're watching with us. What makes you mad? My kids make me mad when they don't get along. That, that riles me up. I get upset when my technology doesn't work as it's expected to. I I get mad when I I feel like I'm not being heard or understood by people in my life. I get angry when I pour energy into something and I don't see it come to fruition like I expected. Can you relate to that? I'm angry finding out that things that I've said in a private phone call or in a conversation with somebody get exaggerated, blown out of proportion, gossiped about, and I become a topic uh, of conversation for somebody else, and it circles back to me. You better believe that that makes me mad. That riles me up, right? Uh, I, I get mad about seeing the hypocrisy of Christians in America right now that claim to follow Jesus with their mouth, but their actions are showing something completely different. And that bothers me because I believe in the gospel so wholeheartedly and so deeply within me. It bothers me that there is a distorted message being sent with that. I'm angry in our culture that there's a lack of accountability, that anyone can post anything and say anything and do anything, and there's, there's no repercussions. But I'm also upset that on the flip side of that, we live in a world where there's this mob mentality that says, cancel. If I don't like you, I'm canceling you. If I don't like this, I'm canceling this, right? There's a lack of grace in our culture as well. I'm angry at a lot of different things. I'm angry, and I know you're angry too. And and, and the point here, again, is not to to just live in that anger. It's to point it out, to address it, to identify it, to begin to talk about it. And anger is an emotion that is triggered by various causes, various reasons. And we jump into our anger to do what? We expect our anger. We lean into our anger. We run to our anger expecting it's going to do what? Fix the problem. When your kids are yelling, you don't get mad because you think it's going to worsen the problem. You think it's going to fix the problem. If I just get louder, they'll listen to me. We think it's going to address the symptoms. It's going to fix it. It's going to bring solution. My anger brings a sense of control or power or solution to what's going on. And that's the message that was in the movie Network 45 years ago. That's the tendency in our culture. That's the instinct within us. And yet, Jesus had something different for us. 
Jesus' half-brother, James, writes about this to the early church. In James chapter 1, he lays out this statement that shows us anger is one way to do it. But let me show you something different. Let me show you some truth here. In James 1, verse 19 and 20, he says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Read that last part one more time as we become slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That's a huge statement for us to grab onto in the midst of this series. My anger, your anger, our human anger. James says be slow to get angry because your human anger is short-sighted. Your human anger is self-serving. It is selfish. It is out of control at times. It is not concerned with the will of God and the kingdom of God and the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. It is consumed with self. Our human anger is driven by us. And it won't fix the problem. Our culture is telling us, get mad. And yet it's not going to fix the problem. It's not going to bring resolution. It's not going to bring more control to your life. It's not going to fix your issues. It's not going to heal your marriage or make your kids to be better. Getting angry at these things isn't going to fix anything. James is clearly saying that. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And yet my anger wants to fight and claw and do everything it can to make it right. Make it right according to Jesus? Not so much. But make it right according to me? That's, that's right. My anger entrenches me in my rightness. I'm right. What I want is right. My desire is right. My perspective is right. My belief is right. My solution is right. You see, that's my rightness. And I become entrenched in my rightness the more conflict that brews around me. The more anger is a part of that conflict. I just get entrenched in my rightness. Think about when you get in a fight with your spouse or a friend or your kids or a coworker or your boss or whatever, right? 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 It's all about you being right. You just get entrenched in that. Just, you're just stuck in that pit of rightness. I'm right, they're wrong. And in the midst of trying to convince them that you're right, anger, hostility, it all continues to go. And then what happens? It fractures the relationship. It divides people. Relationships from people to people get fractured. Your relationship between you and God gets fractured. And as we pause and think about what we said earlier, that's what makes Jesus angry. Those fractured relationships end up being obstructed relationships. They become barriers to us having honest encounters with other people, and honest encounters with our God. And that bothers Jesus. And so today, we're going to be looking at what Jesus' teaching is on this idea of getting angry in the midst of conflict and holding on to my rightness versus seeking res uh, reconciliation. Rightness versus reconciliation. And each week, we're going to, uh, we're going to look at different aspects of this uh, or or anger and, and getting mad and all of this, but when you think about reconciliation for a moment, when do we need reconciliation? When do we need it, right? Pretty obvious, when there's conflict. And, and what causes conflict? Right? I need reconciliation when there's conflict. Well, what causes conflict? People doing wrong to people. 
right? You've wronged somebody, somebody's wronged you, and yet in those conflicts, we cling to our rightness, we sprinkle in some anger, and it continues to perpetuate the problem and divide people. And so Jesus is going to bring some teaching on this matter, uh, on this importance of striving for reconciliation in our conflict, in our anger, and in our emotions, that we seek reconciliation rather than our rightness, improving ourselves to be right. And so what do we do when we've wronged somebody? That's what Jesus is going to address for us in Matthew chapter 5. He warns us that in our anger, we can end up harming people and hurting people. So what do we do when we've wronged somebody? Here's what he says. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in the dangers of hell, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is speaking to this crowd, talking about in our anger, we can actually harm people. We, we cause infraction, right? We cause conflict with our words. And he's drawing their attention to the Old Testament Mosaic law of do not murder, as if that was the threshold. And he actually says what? Now, I'm going to elevate the standard here beyond just don't kill somebody out of your anger. I'm going to say that your words, your language matters. And it's this stern warning. You don't get this idea where he's just like, hey, it'd be really nice if you were nice. This is really strong. He's comparing the, the power of our words to the idea of hurting and actually killing somebody, destroying them. And it's this stern warning to say, <clears throat> that even demeaning people of our words can be just as damaging. Even belittling them and tearing them down, it's on par with this huge infraction of murder. And this word that he uses in, in verse 22, raka, it's a, it's a word that we don't use. It's, 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 a, it's cultural and that time would have been translated as uh, an insult that meant empty-headed. And I'm sure you can think of synonyms for yourself other than raka, of what empty-headed, you idiot, you moron, you imbecile. And then you can think of other synonyms that you would think of and, and put in that place. But, but what Jesus is getting at here is the power of our, our language, the power of our words to tear people down. And that angry words will lead us to dehumanizing people. That they are lesser than human that's what that dehumanized means. That our angry words, our sarcasm, our joking, our, our, our names, our labels. Think about when you get upset. I know when I get upset, I can get a little more sarcastic, get a little more abrupt, a little more abrasive. My, my jokes are harder to discern. Like, is he joking or is he serious? I would use language that belittles or, or demeans or labels. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but what it does is it begins to make it easier to view people as lesser. Our words cause us to uh, look at people as lower than us. We dehumanize them with our very words. And that's what Jesus is getting at. When you're yelling out in your anger, Raka, or you fool, what are you doing? You're diminishing them. You're saying you're lesser than. You're not as good as me. You're not equal to me. And social scientists actually would, would say how much language matters. Modern day so, you know, sociologists and, and psychiatrists and, and social scientists of that nature, they actually look at our language and they say, if you look at history, you will see moments of injustice and racism and genocide and destruction. 
And, and accompanied with that, preceding all of that, what are you going to see? You're going to see how language played a role in humanity tearing humanity apart. Because they'll look at those moments throughout ancient history, modern history, current history that we're in, and what do we do? We use our words to demean people. We tear them down. We use language to, to refer to people as animals and monsters and scum. We strip away their identity. We strip away their dignity, and they are no longer, as Scripture says, a person made in the image of God. They are lesser than. That's the power of our words. They are no longer an image bearer of God. They are somehow subhuman. And if we can dehumanize them with our words, sociologists would say this, if we can dehumanize them with our words, well, then we will be more apt to take action against them, treat them poorly, hurt them with our actions and our behaviors. And so all the injustice and racism and genocide and all of that, they would look at that and say, it all stems from this use of language about how we talk about each other. You see the, the domino effect that that, can hap, that that can cause. And we hurt people. I think this is why Jesus takes this so seriously. That's why it's not a stretch for him to say, hey, you, you thought it was do not murder. Guess what? It's don't even be angry with your words and dehumanize people with your language. Don't call them those names. Don't do that. It is so serious to Jesus when he's talking. I mean, he talks about the consequences of judgment and the fires of hell because he's showing you the capacity of our anger. Our anger has the ability to demolish what God is trying to establish, to tear down what God is trying to build, their image, their identity, their beliefs and who they are and who God says they are. Think about how, how could someone believe that they are a loved child of God if they're hearing us in our anger belittle them and demean them and tear them down? How could they believe that God died for them and they are a chosen people and Jesus loves them when they're hearing Christians in their anger say, yeah, but you're lesser, you're subhuman, you're not as good as I am in their sarcasm, in their joking, in their social media, in their comments, in all of these things, and they get this message, and I tell you what, our anger is tearing down what God is trying to build. And you can begin to see why this makes Jesus so upset, why he's taking it so seriously, that our horizontal relationships with each other affects people's ability to want to engage in a vertical relationship with God. Man, God still loves them, even though I'm flawed and I say things about people and hurt their feelings or hurt their uh, self-identity. God still loves them, but their desire to engage with that God is now obstructed, diminished. Our horizontal relationships with others affect the engagement of others in their vertical relationship with God. And so Jesus is saying, this is going to happen, so what do we do when we've wronged someone? What's the course of action that we take when we make these mistakes? We are going to hurt people with our words and with our actions, and, and we are going to be the, the one who, who, uh, who, unfortunately, we are going to be the one who is the perpetrator here. What, what is our role in moving forward in fighting for reconciliation? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, this is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, if you have an offering, if you are offering your gift at the altar and and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus is showing us the importance of dropping everything, owning our mistake, and going and making it right. He's saying this to an audience that would have heard this idea of, okay, in my anger, I can destroy people. In my anger, I can hurt people, so I'm subject to judgment. And then, if I've done that, and I recognize that, and I'm at the temple, I need to drop everything and go visit them and say I'm sorry? Think about the original audience when they heard this at the Sermon on the Mount. These people would have thought Jesus was absurd, taking crazy pills. Because for them, going to the temple was not like you going to church where it's just a five-minute drive, just pop in, park, and I'm at church. This was for some because they didn't have a, a, you know, a nice minivan to roll their family in. You're talking about a days and days journey, multiple days to get to the temple, battling the elements and hunger and kids and all of these things, the, the windy, dusty roads and the elements of the heat and climate and everything. And they get to the temple and they stand in this long line to get into the temple and they finally get there. And when they have their sacrifice ready to offer before God, Jesus says, mm, hit the pause button, time out. We need to go make this right with Joe over here. That's absurd to them. It would, it's crazy to them. And what Jesus is showing them is just how outrageously important this needs to be, that they go and repent when they've been in the wrong, that they seek that reconciliation immediately. It would be equivalent, the way they're computing and hearing this, it would be like me saying, on your family vacation, drop everything and go make it right with your coworker when you wronged them. You planned this whole trip to Disneyland, you got tickets and airfare and security, and you've gone through all of that, you've gotten your kids packed up and through the airport, you've got reservations, you got your rental car, you drive to there, you, you get checked into the hotel, you get unpacked, all of these things, you wake up the next morning, you take the shuttle to Disneyland, you battle through the opening gates, you, you find a bathroom break, you get a giant you know, churro and all of these things, you wait in line for Splash Mountain for 90 minutes, you finally get to the front of the log ride, and then you realize, honey... I wronged my coworker. I said something sarcastic, and I think they took it the wrong way. Honey, we got to go. And you pack everything up, and you leave, and you go make it right. I mean, that's absurd. It's crazy. Your, 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 your spouse would just turn to you and say, write them an email. And, and so when Jesus is saying this, he is getting their attention to rattle their cage and say, your human-to-human -human relationships matter to God. And think about how much they matter to God, that he is willing to hit the pause button. He's giving them license and permission to say, hey, I know you came to the temple to have a relationship and an encounter with the living God. That's awesome. That's great. But guess what? I'm willing to hit the pause button with us. We're good. Go make it right with this guy over here that you wronged. Go figure that out. Doesn't that show you the value and the importance that that is to Jesus and, and to our Heavenly Father? Like that matters so much. He's willing to say, time out. Go get that right and then come back. Then we'll do this. It shows the value that God has on our human relationships. And, and, and I think it, it shows us the importance of not procrastinating on the things that matter to us. Think about it. In everyday life, you've got things that matter. They're valuable. You prioritize them. You don't procrastinate in the things that matter to you. Uh, here's one example. small example uh, would be um, laundry priority of mine is laundry. Moving the laundry along from the washing machine to the dryer. 
Because if you don't move it along, what happens? It just sits in there and it gets a nice odor about itself. And that odor somehow transfers over to the dryer. Even though the clothes are dry, when you put them on, you can still smell like, yeah, those sat for way too long. And you've all been there. You, you've put on a shirt or a hoodie and gone to the store and you smell like, oh, that smells me. Oh, it's not the store. Oh, right? I, I don't like that smell. I, I, I have such a value for cleanliness and hygiene and smells uh, that matters to me a lot. And so for me, I don't procrastinate on switching my laundry over. So when that buzzer goes off, boom, Sean is down and in the laundry room moving things over, right? And, and it's not so much of a priority if it gets out of the dryer or if it ends up on the floor and gets all wrinkly. That doesn't bother me as much. But the smell that can happen in the washing machine, that matters to me. You see, we don't procrastinate on what matters to us. We don't procrastinate on what's valuable to us. And I think that the illustration here speaks to conflict because when our conflict buzzer goes off, are we going to let it just sit, fester? Are we going to let it just ruminate and get a nice little odor that's going to come up? Because that odor is going to be worse than something that stings your nostrils. It's going to sting your relationships. It's going to sting your life. You're going to feel that odor. You're going to see that odor all throughout your life. So when that conflict buzzer goes, hey, Sean, that email was a little more harsh than I think you meant it to be. Hey, Sean, that joke wasn't as funny as you thought it was going to be. It was actually more offensive. Hey, Sean, that interaction with the person at the store, that was quite abrasive. I think you should go actually apologize to them. Hey, you were a little hard on your kids over there. Let's maybe show them a little more grace. When that timer goes off, when that buzzer goes off, when you begin to recognize I was in the wrong, I was in the wrong, I was in the wrong. Jesus is telling us, don't procrastinate, go do it. Because those people matter to God. Those people are valuable to God and they should be valuable and, and they should matter to you. Those relationships matter. And so let's think about this for one second. Whose responsibility is it to initiate the reconciliation? According to Jesus, if I wrong somebody, and I'm at the temple, and I recognize someone's got something against me. Whose responsibility is it? It's mine. It's mine. But in my anger, do I always think about wanting to be the one to initiate it? Nope. In my rightness, right? I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. They are the, they are the ones that perpetrated this against me. What happens? I get entrenched in that rightness, and I don't want to reconcile. I'm right, they're wrong. That wasn't off sides to say that. It wasn't too harsh for me to email that. It wasn't too abrasive to say that. And so we stay in that rightness. But it is our responsibility to actually be quick to repent and not stay stuck and entrenched in that I'm right. Because when we stay entrenched in that, we begin to excuse or justify our mistakes. We begin to minimize the problem. Oh, it's not that big a deal. We take ourselves uh, out of it and, and even disqualify us being the problem. That's, it's not that big a deal. And really, they're making it a bigger deal. And actually, I was only responding to their first. They initiated the problem in the first place. You ever done that? It's not even my fault. We put all the blame on them. What are we doing? We're just living in that rightness. We're just digging in and saying, I'm right, you're wrong. This is where I'm gonna stay. And instead, Jesus challenges us to do something different, to be quick to repent to be quick to say I'm sorry, to be quick to admit I was wrong, to be quick to own it, take responsibility. Something we're trying to teach our kids. Man, you gotta take responsibility. You're gonna make mistakes, but you gotta own it. You gotta take responsibility for that. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. Take responsibility for the fact that we hurt people. Whether we intended to or not, intention really doesn't matter. If they're hurt, it is our responsibility to say, I'm sorry. That was wrong. I did not intend that. But repentance is, is, is this churchy word, but it really means a U-turn. It means a change, a transformation, a turn that takes place. And so what you're saying in that relationship is, I was going this way. I was being abrasive. I was being selfish. I was being hurtful. I was being offensive. But I want to turn. I want to change. I want to do something different. Reconciliation requires us to repent. That's why I think James, James says it like this. He says, James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James is just dropping another truth bomb on us. Confession brings healing. Confessing your sin to each other is going to heal that relationship. It's going to heal that and restore that connection that you have with people. And today is about reminding us that Jesus is passionate about reconciling relationships with people. Jesus cares about that. He got upset when that wasn't happening. He sternly gave us warnings to say, guys, wake up, pay attention to this, because Jesus is passionate about reconciling relationships. And one of the first steps we can do is saying, I'm sorry. The first things we can do is to repent. And it's realizing that repentance, it will diffuse the conflict. It disarms the other person. It calms things down. When I've been in conflict with people and I own it and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that it was intended or it was taken that way, I, I'm sorry that I said that, I'm sorry that I did that, you know what it does? It diffuses the situation. Anger is lighter fluid that just engulfs it and goes, right? Staying entrenched in my rightness just inflames the situation, but to repent is the first step towards reconciliation and it diffuses and disarms that situation. And so, as we close today, it's thinking about who do we need to repent to? Who have we wronged? Where do you need to own it? And maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a person in your life. Your spouse, your kids. Let me just say, you should never be too proud to repent to your kids. I don't care how old they are. You cross the line, it's okay to say you're sorry. Maybe it's your roommate, your coworker. Maybe it's your boss. That would be a bold move to, to repent to your boss if you've wronged them in that way. Friends, families, even an employee at a store. There's been times where I've gotten upset. Maybe I was returning a product and, and it didn't go as planned. I wasn't getting the, the, the money back in the way that I thought I was going to get. And I got upset. You ever get upset at a store or a restaurant? Yeah, it happens. And the reality is, is there's been times where that's happened and I've circled back and said, you know what, I'm sorry. That wasn't right. It's just stuff. And my attitude and my response, my reaction was inappropriate. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry about that. It speaks volumes to people when we are quick to repent. And so maybe there's a person that you need to repent to, but, but, but maybe, maybe some of you right now is just, man, I, I need to repent to Jesus. Maybe there's a person, but as we talk about Jesus wanting to reconcile and restore relationships with people, he wants to reconcile and restore relationship with you. And that simply starts with us repenting, owning our mistake in this, to say, I've been doing life alone. I've been doing life without you, Jesus. Would you forgive me and give me a fresh start from today? Let's pray.
Church, I want to pray for anybody right now that just wants to, to make that decision to say yes to Jesus right in this moment. To simply be quick to repent and, and want to restore relationship with Jesus. Jesus, be the king of our life. Be the leader of our life. We come to follow you, Jesus. Where we have sinned and gone wrong, I pray that you would forgive us. Wash us clean of our mistakes and our sin and, 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 and the odors that come with that. Give us a fresh start and a new beginning today. I pray also for those in our church right now that just recognize moments friendships, relationships that need to be restored. God, I pray for courage and humility to go forward and, and, and be quick to repent right now. That we be people who are quick to say, I'm sorry, to take responsibility. And God, I, I just pray for the, the boldness to do that. It, it is so countercultural. It is not a part of our norm. I pray that people within our church are quick to repent and quick to say that they're sorry and quick to see change, God. And you begin that to be the first step towards uh, just rebuilding relationships, restoring relationships. God, you're all about that. And so we want to be all about that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, uh, we love you, and uh, we're excited for this series. It's going to be really good stuff. Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about what do we do when someone else has wronged us. Today was all about us wronging uh, someone. What do we do, though, when they're the perpetrator, when they've wronged us? How do we respond to that and fight for reconciliation? So uh, that's going to be next week. Looking forward to it. Let's throw it back to Tyler. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.